This morning I'm going to start off with, with a, some solemn thoughts. So bear with me this morning. But sadly, we live in a fallen world. And some of you know that very well. We live in a fallen world where, where tragedy and sorrow are unavoidable. And I look around, I know some of you have experienced these things and you're going through these things. And, and just yesterday, Pastor Manny officiated a funeral here for a 29-year-old girl. Many of us look at that as tragedy, a young life. Here today, gone tomorrow. And throughout all of our lives, tragedy and sorrow come in many, many forms. It could be a medical diagnosis. It could be a terminated relationship. It could be a loss of a loved one. It could be a financial crisis. It could be a debilitating injury. And the list could go on and on. And you know from your own life some of those things, the sorrows that have come into your own life. Life definitely includes sorrow and tragedy. But what does that mean? Does that mean that God doesn't care? Well, he absolutely does care. Does tragedy and sorrow mean that God is removed far from us? Because God is actually near, and he's near at all times. Does tragedy and sorrow mean that God isn't good? Because God is good at all times. Then how do we reconcile tragedy? How do we deal with sorrow? How do we deal with all that comes at us in life? Where does one go in response to tragedy and sorrow? Well, there are many in the world who look to things to numb their pain. They look to alcohol. They look to drugs. They look to other sinful pleasures just to numb the pain. But then there are others, even unbelievers, who will go to Jesus. And they go to Jesus to seek comfort, to seek help in the midst of trial, in the midst of tragedy. And this morning we're going to look in the scriptures and see one example of a man who does just this. And we'll see God work mightily in his life. If you are taking notes this morning, we'll be looking at three points from today's sermon. The first point will be great tragedy. Then verse 46 of John chapter 4. Second point will be great desperation. So it flows from tragedy. And that we will see in verses 47 through 50. And lastly, we will see there's great reward in verses 51 through 53. Before we begin looking at God's word today, would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's bow our heads. Father, you are holy. You are righteous. You are good. You are sovereign over all things. And you are a God of love. You're a God of compassion. And today as we speak of tragedy, Lord, we ask that you would show us your goodness, that you would show us your greatness through the studying of your word this morning. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. This morning we're continuing our study through the book of John. If you're taking notes, the title of this morning's message is Go to Jesus. If that's all you leave with this morning is to go to Jesus, then we're in a good place. 
in all of life situations, the good, the bad, the ugly, go to Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you do. If you could open up to John chapter 4. If you have the bulletin this morning, the text for the sermon will also be in the bulletin this morning. But once you get there, if you could rise to your feet and honor the public reading of God's Word together. I'll be reading John chapter 4 this morning, verses 43 through 54, which is the end of the chapter. I'll start in verse 43. We read, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So reads God's inerrant, infallible, holy, and authoritative word. Please be seated, church. We begin our text this morning. Before we get into the meat of the sermon, we have some transitional verses beginning in verse 43. We see that after Jesus had stayed, if you've been with us, he was up in Samaria on his way to Galilee. And in Samaria, he met a woman and he shared the truth of God with her, that he was living water, that if she would come and taste of him, she would never thirst again. She went after dialoguing with him and told the town all that he had told her. And many came to faith in Samaria. And they asked him to stay with them and to teach them. Here we see after he had stayed with them in verse 43 a couple days, he continues his journey into Galilee. And then in verse 44, we have this parenthetical insert. If you look at your Bibles, it says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. We're contrasting he just came out of Samaria. This is a place where the Jews hated these people. And yet there was a people, or a, a whole population of people who came to a saving knowledge of Jesus in Samaria. They even asked him to stay with them. And yet coming down into his own people, his own land, that's the land that we're rejecting. These are the people that would cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We continue looking at these transitional verses in verse 45. We see, however, the Galileans 
welcomed Jesus because they had observed the signs and the wonders that he had done while at the feast in Jerusalem. Now I want to clarify this before we get in the text this morning. When it says they welcomed him, they didn't welcome as the Samaritans did. If you remember back with me, if you look back in your Bibles, look up a little bit to verse, let's see, it was 42, then to 42, the Samaritans said, this is the Savior of the world. That's how they greeted Jesus. That's how they departed with him. He is the Savior of the world. But now in Galilee, it's Jesus, that miracle worker, that guy who does signs and wonders. It's a sideshow. Here comes Jesus. Show us some more stuff. They're there for amusement. It's entertainment. It's like, whoa, did you see what he did? Look how fascinating that was. These are not the people calling him the Savior of the world. We also see in our text this morning, I'm going to show you, there's some bookends that tie in all of our scripture that we're looking at this morning. Look with me at verse 46. The beginning of verse 46, it references the miracle that Jesus did previously in that area. It says, so he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. The first miracle that he had performed in this area, some of you remember at the wedding, he turned water into wine. John the Apostle decides to record this for us in this text. Skip down in your Bibles all the way to verse 54 real quick. There's going to be the other book in, verse 54. And he says, and now this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now you say, well, Pastor, why are you taking us here and there, and what does this mean? There is a reason why when John penned this gospel that he puts these two footnotes in there. That this was the first and this was the second. He's causing us to look at these two miracles and to contrast them. What are the similarities? What are the differences? And when we look at these two, or two miracles, we see a lot of similarities. For example, they both occurred on the third day. They both had an initial rebuke from Jesus to the requester. Jesus performs both miracles at a distance simply by saying a word. Both miracles ended with people believing. And we can go on and on and see the similarities between the first and the second sign that Jesus did in that town. But what stands out the most is the great difference between the two miracles. The first one, if you recall, was performed at a wedding. What is happening at a wedding? What is the mood of the people? Joy. They're celebrating. They're glad to be there. They're rejoicing. They're happy. And Jesus is there in the midst of them. And he's going to perform a miracle in the midst of them. Flip it over to this situation that we're looking at today and what's going on. It's not joy. It's not rejoicing. It's sorrow. There is a man whose son is about to die. He is on the brink of death. That's the contrast. The contrast is the same Jesus who's actively working in times of rejoicing is the same Jesus that's working in times of sorrow. It's the same Jesus. This morning, as we get into our points, if you're taking notes, point number one again, great tragedy. Great tragedy. Look with me at verse 46 in your Bible. Verse 46 says, So he came again to Canaan and Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, which by the way is 16 miles or so away, there was an official whose son was ill. Now when we read official here, 
in the Greek, this was actually a royal official. Most likely, this man worked for King Herod. He was a man of high social status. He was a man that was well-respected. Most likely, he was a man that was very, very wealthy. And church, as many of you know, tragedy is no discerner of status. It's no discerner of status. Tragedy shows no partiality. Tragedy comes upon both the rich and the poor. There's no difference. In this case, this official son is sick. And you say, oh, how is that tragedy? I mean, don't we all get sick? But we read from the text that this sickness has his son on the point of death. Now, if you're a parent in here, and you've ever had your child sick, and you've had them where doctors don't know what to do for them, you know how much you grieve over that. And you know when they come back and they say, there's nothing we can do. You're beyond burden. This man was a rich official. This man probably would do anything to save his son, but he is at the point where he could do nothing. He has finances. I'm sure he's expended them all. Got whatever help he can get. He's used his high social status to go after and get whatever he can get to help his son, and nothing is helping. His son is about to die. This man feels helpless. He feels hopeless. And boy, do some of us know what that's like. And I apologize this morning if I get real emotional in this because this sermon hit me hard. Some of you know that my son almost died when he was born. My son was sick. He would not eat. And we watched personnel after personnel come and try to treat him, one person after another, and he was dying. And we watched person poke him after poke him after poking him and try to find a way to help him. And there was nothing that his mom or I could do. Of course, we prayed. But as a dad, I wanted to do anything to save my son. If I could only give my life to save my son, I would. But I couldn't. That is how he feels. This official wants to do anything to save his son. Tragedy, sorrow comes into our life or we will do anything to help. Whoever that loved one is, if only I can give my own life, my resources, whatever it takes. This man was at a point where he's exhausted every resource. There's nothing less left. His son is on the brink of death. So my question is, what do you do? What do you do when you've exhausted every resource? When there is nothing else to do, what do you do? Out of our messages, go to Jesus. This man who's not a believer, this is what he's going to do. He's not even a believer. He's going to go to Jesus. Would you look at your Bibles with me? Starting in verse 47, we're going to look at point number two, which is great desperation. This is where this all picks up. Great desperation. This man is desperate. He's looking for something. We pick up in verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea, to Galilee. Stop there. He just got wind of it. That Jesus, the same man that he's heard about, this same miracle worker who's going around doing these signs and wonders, he's gotten wind. He's not going to be far from here. He's in traveling distance. He's desperate. 
I'll do anything to save my son. My finances couldn't help. Nobody in town could help. No one in the royal courts could help. But here he hears that Jesus is a town away. Keep reading with me. It says he went to him. Now again, this isn't going across the street. It's like a 16-mile journey. He goes to him. And he asks Jesus, he implores him to come down and heal his son. You guys see the condition his son was in right after that? He was at the point of death. Now when the son got sick and everything else, I'm sure he's going through all his resources thinking, how do we get him better? But now he's about to die. Now it's it. It's the 11th hour. He needs help. And he comes to Jesus. You know, it's so interesting how many people will come to Jesus in a time of need. Imagine an airplane is up in the air and the turbulence kicks in and it starts wobbling around. Anybody fly in here? Anybody like turbulence? Most people don't. They grab their seat and they hold on. They're like, oh, please stop. Please stop. And imagine that plane starts dropping 10 feet at a time and shaking. And then there's an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, please reach down and grab your life vest. There'll be a crash landing. How many people on that plane are going to say, oh, God, Jesus, help? I'm going to guess if it's a plane from America, there's a whole lot of people that know the name of Jesus. And they're going to cry out, Jesus, help. And there are many people throughout life that cry out, Lord, help in a time of need. And then when that plane doesn't crash and comes back up, it's all good. Forget about Jesus. I'm okay. Perhaps in our own lives, when tragedy or sorrow or we get scared, that's occurred to us where we've cried out, Lord, help. I need your help. And when everything's smoothed out again, we forgot all about him again. In this case, this man loved his son. This man wanted to do anything to save his son. He did not know Jesus as the Savior of the world. He knew Jesus as a miracle worker. And why not? Let's go see if he can do something. I'm going to go and see last-ditch effort. Will this miracle worker heal my son? Verse 48, Jesus responds to him. Not with the response that he wanted to hear. Jesus responds to him and says, look with me. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, I'm thinking, what? I've asked you to heal my son. What are we talking about unless you see signs and wonders? Stop, time out. Jesus is teaching more than just this man in front of him. He's teaching the Galileans where he's at. This word you in the Greek is plural. He's not just speaking to this man. He's speaking to everybody around them. Do you remember when he came into Galilee, they welcomed him? Because they had seen signs and wonders. He's telling these people, you will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. He's using it as a teaching moment, but I love the response of this man. He doesn't say, huh, what are you talking about? His heart is focused on his son. His heart is focused on his son being well. And it says the official, verse 49, said to him, Sir, which by the way is a lot more uh, respectful in, in the way it was used in the Greek than what it is in English. In English we call people sir all the time, no big deal. This is one of the most respectful ways. It's Lord. Lord. He says, 
comes down before my child dies. What is the man focused on? My child's going to die any second. This man has great desperation. Something must happen, and it has to happen now. My son is about to die. He implores Jesus. He begs Jesus. He pleads with Jesus, come, my child's going to die. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. Now stop right there. I want you to think about this. This man does not know Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of the world. He has just heard that he's a miracle worker. When Jesus tells him, go, your son will live, has that man seen the miracle? He's just heard it. He's just heard it. Don't we have a saying that says, seeing is believing? To me, this man should respond by saying, Jesus, thank you for saying that, but come with me. I want you to come with me and be there so I can see that my son is well. I want you to come perform that miracle in front of me so I can see what happens. And yet Jesus just says to him, go, your son will live. And church, I'm going to venture out to say what happens next is a miracle in itself. Read with me in your Bibles how this man responds in the latter half of verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now, now just stop for a second. Again, seeing is believing. He has come 16 miles to come see this miracle worker and ask him, come with me and heal my son. And the miracle worker just says, go, your son will live. And all of a sudden, this man has faith to believe it. He takes this man at his word, this Jesus at his word, and says, okay, I'll go. Some of you are going, what, what's the big deal? What has just occurred is supernatural. I'm telling you, if I was in that position, and I'm not a believer in Jesus, I'm dragging him by his arm. Please come with me. Please show me that my son will be okay. I want you to be there. I want you to rise him up from the bed. He will not get up. Something miraculous has taken place in this man's life that he would believe Jesus at his word and go his way. This man had a great tragedy. His son is about to die. And after expending all resources, there's great desperation. Something has to happen to save my son. And he goes to Jesus in desperation. And while interacting with Jesus, Jesus tells him, go, your son will live. And then we'll see there is great reward. Point number three is there's great reward. Some of you say just him saying that is great reward. We haven't seen anything yet. He has just told him, go, your son will live. The man believes him. And he goes his way. Read with me, verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Stop there. He's going down. Remember, geographically, that means he's actually going down. He's lowering down. In elevation, they're actually coming up towards him to tell him to find him. They realize he has gone away to search for a remedy, to find somebody who would come and heal his son. 
So they come seeking him. Again, showing he is a rich man. He's got servants in his household that would come seek him out. And they come to bear good news. And they tell him, your son is recovering. Verse 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that it was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Stop there. We need to backpedal through the story. We have a man whose son is on the brink of death. There's nothing he could do for him. He hears about a miracle worker. He journeys to go over him. In desperation, cries out to him to come and heal his son. Jesus just verbally tells him, go, your son will live. And the scripture said he believed. Stop right there. Our very next verse says that he believed again. We see it again. Look with me in your Bible. It says at the end of verse 53, and he himself believed and all his household. Stop there. So what's going on? He believed Jesus' words, but when he went back and he saw and heard that his son was okay, it says he believed. What is the difference between these beliefs? He believed Jesus at his word, but later on, there's another belief. He believed that Jesus wasn't only a miracle worker. He believed with genuine saving faith who Jesus was. This man became a genuine believer. And you go, Pastor, what is the big deal in that transition? Why the first believe in his word and the next he becomes a genuine believer? Not only him, but his entire household. His servants, anybody else in the household, they all come to a saving faith in Jesus. You say, what's the big deal? Well, back when Jesus said, go, your son will live. God had to do a miracle in this man right there. To give him a gift of faith. To give him a gift that he would believe on the word of Jesus. That God began working in this man's life. Church, how did it begin? It began with tragedy. Tragedy came upon him. He was not a seeker. He wasn't one looking for, could this be the Messiah? Is this the Christ? The reality in his life is his son was dying. That was his reality. My son is near death. And there is nothing and nobody else that can help him. And he goes to Jesus. And what happens is it turns into great, great reward. I want to talk about this real quick. Is this a proof text that every time someone is in great need, they go to Jesus and everything turns out perfect and peachy? Absolutely not. God has used this in the life of this man to draw him to the point where he would go unto Jesus. Scripture tells us that no one can come unto the Father unless he, excuse me, no one can come to Christ unless the Father draws him. God is working just as he did in the Samaritan woman, the timing of her meeting Jesus at the well. God has done the same thing in this man's life. God has allowed tragedy, tragic circumstances in his life for a divine purpose. 
Some of you have your own testimony. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I, I have gone through certain things that, that God allowed in my life that brought me to the point of despair, that brought me to the point of humility where I can look up and see Jesus. That it wasn't until I was falling on my back that I can look upward. Church, do you realize that God is in control of all things? Some of you might be thinking, but Pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the tragedies that have occurred. You don't know that recently happened. But God does. And God's a God of love. He's a God of compassion. He's a God who's in complete control. He's not far away. He's very near. He's present at all times. He knows what's going on. Scripture tells us in Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Are you one here this morning that would testify that you love God? Do you trust His word that He will use all things together for good? Some of you say, well, Pastor, you don't know the things that have happened, the tragedies that come into my life, the circumstances that surround me. Well, it's interesting because that very famous verse, Romans 8, 28, goes on in context. And verse 29 actually says what the good is that God will do. You ever thought about certain tragedies? What good could come out of this? How could anything good come out of this? Well, God says in His Word that He will use in the believer's life tragedies, circumstances, sufferings for your good and His glory. And what that is in verse 29 of Romans chapter 8 is that He'll use it, church, to continue to conform you into the image of His Son. It's to make you more like Jesus. The suffering servant Jesus. It's to make you more like Him. And yet we look around and we see others who are not believers and we look at tragedy in their lives. And how do we pray for them? How do we intercede for those who have tragic circumstances? Church, I want to encourage you this morning, much like this man was caused to be to a point of desperation, that we would pray the same for those people, that it would cause them to be in a point of desperation where they would cry out to Jesus. They would cry out in desperation. I've exhausted all resources. I've tested and I've tried what this world had to offer. And it would cause them to go to Jesus. The question is for you this morning. What tragedies, what sorrow have you dealt with? And how did you respond? My guess is all of us at some point, maybe we failed in the way that we responded. Maybe we responded in a way that wasn't going to Jesus. It was seeking help or refuge somewhere else. But this morning the encouragement is, Go to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning you're thinking, how could this sorrow, how could this suffering be used for good? Go to Jesus. Lean on Him. Seek Him. Find your comfort in Him. The Bible says that our God, He is a God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. And there's a reason for that. So that we might comfort others in their affliction. Church, we look at a man this morning who was desperate. And all around us, we have people who are desperate. 
even as believers, there are times that things happen in our life that the tragedy seems to cloud everything. The sorrow makes it seem dark, and it doesn't seem like there's any light. It seems like it's a point of helplessness and hopelessness. This morning we're reminded the solution. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. And when he speaks through his word, believe what he says. Follow him. Obey him. Trust him. Life will bring us trials. Life will bring us sorrows. Life will bring tragedy. And yet, oftentimes that tragedy turns into desperation. And I was once told by a good friend of mine, someone who is not a believer, being in desperation is a horrible place. But for a believer, it's a great place. I'm going to say this morning, it's a great place for both. Because as this man was desperate, he went to Jesus. As we as believers get desperate, we go to Jesus. Church, let's pray together. Father, we bring up the topic of tragedy and sorrow. And so often in our sorrow, it feels as though you're far away. It feels as though you do not care. It appears as though you're not good. And God, we know all those things are a lie. Father, we're reminded this morning that you are a God who is near at all times. You are a God who is good at all times. And you are a God who cares at all times. You are a God who is sovereign over every circumstance and situation of life. You are a God who will use all things for us as believers for our good and for your glory. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning at all times, whether it would be as though the last miracle that was at a wedding where we were rejoicing, that we would go to Jesus. If it's a time of desperation and need, that we would go to Jesus. Father, we thank you that we can come to you at all times. Father, I pray if there would be anyone in this room this morning that perhaps trial, suffering, sorrow, has brought them to a place of desperation. Perhaps they've tried everything else to numb the pain, to get rid of the sorrow, to get rid of the, 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 the memories that this morning through the power of your Spirit you would draw them unto yourself, that they would go to Jesus. That today would be the day they turn in belief to Jesus. That He is the Savior of the world. That today would be a day they repent and believe. God, we pray that you would work mightily in them and through them. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus.